Last week, we took a look at the exhortation in the divine service. Um, we saw that this was included pretty well in, in all of the Lutheran liturgies following the Reformation. We did see that as things moved into America with English and things of that sort, um, we already kind of saw the history of it. There were some that did include it. Somewhere after the common service, of which our uh, Augustana hymnal is, is based, uh, as the common liturgy was, was proposed, they moved that off. They kept leaving it out, putting an asterisk, uh, making it a part of the corporate confession, but putting it in a different place. Uh, it pretty well had the effect of it not being used. And so we saw the importance of the exhortation. As I went through, I read uh, on the one sheet the entire exhortation as it was uh, used. Uh, the next Sunday I read Luther where he talks about, uh, in connection with his German Mass, how there ought to be a general prayer and it ought to pretty well be a paraphrase of the Lord's Prayer. And yet he wanted it to be a fixed form. And you see, that's exactly what we had with the general prayer. He talks about the exhortation, and he also wishes that that would become a fixed uh, thing so that we might uh, learn it and, and not uh, uh, continually be using something different all the time. And so we saw that that's exactly uh, what has, has happened. Uh, there is... On the, I'm, I'm not going to read that one again. I will make note of, because that's where we're going. As we took a look at this, we saw that its importance, you know, where some had said, oh yes, that's just because of the context of the people that were leaving uh, uh, the Roman ideas and they just needed this. We don't need it anymore. And we saw that it came out of the examination that was uh, Paul's uh, apostolic counsel concerning 1 Corinthians 11. And both not only where it says that Saint, we ought to examine ourselves that Saint, as St. Paul exhorteth us, that's 1 Corinthians 11, uh, there's another place where it talks about uh, that we ought to do this in remembrance. That's 1 Corinthians 11. Uh, it talks about 1 Corinthians 10. We all are one bread and one body, even as we are all one partakers. Um, this is based upon 1 Corinthians 11, and it includes 10 and kind of the context of it. That's where I'm going to go today. We're pretty well going to walk through kind of uh, what is described as exegesis. That is a scriptural explanation of 1 Corinthians 11, 10, and the context uh, that, is, that is of it. On the sheet that says the exhortation in the divine service, I have included for you uh, the extended section of 1 Corinthians 10, 14 to 22, on the back of it, I have included 1 Corinthians 11, 17-34, which is the extended section. Uh, 
I actually am going to go a little bit wider, and that's why you have the hymnals, or not hymnals, that's why you have the Bibles in front of you, and I will uh, turn you to that. But before we begin, I would like to read uh, Luther's, another one of the exhortations which he has. This is one in which a pastor in Zwickau had asked him about an order of service that he had put together. Luther made a couple of comments concerning the music. Uh, but in particular, he said, you need to have this exhortation to the communicants. And here is the one that Luther uh, put. I think it's, it's uh, enlightening. Dearest friends in Christ, you know that our Lord Jesus Christ, out of unspeakable love, instituted at the last, this his supper, as a memorial and proclamation of his death suffered for our sins. This commemoration requires a firm faith to make the heart and conscience of everyone who wants to use and partake of this supper sure and certain that Christ has suffered death for all his sins. But whoever doubts and does not in some manner feel such faith should know that the supper is of no avail to him, but will rather be to his hurt and he should stay away from it. And since we cannot see such faith, and it is known only to God, we leave it to the conscience of him who comes, and admit him who requests and desires it. But those who cling to open sins, such as greed, hatred, anger, envy, profiteering, unchastity, and the like, and are not minded to renounce them, shall herewith be barred from the supper, and be warned faithfully not to come, lest they incur judgment and damnation for their own souls, as St. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 11.29. If, however, someone has fallen because of weakness and proves by his acts that he earnestly desires to better himself, this grace and communion of the body and blood of Christ shall not be denied to him. In this fashion, each must judge himself and look out for himself, for God is not mocked, nor will he give that which is holy unto the dogs or cast the pearls before swine. So in this particular exhortation, Luther does a little more teaching than he does than we see in some of the other ones. Um, in fact, he, he speaks about how uh, in order to receive this sacrament worthily, there needs to be a firm faith. He goes on to say, if uh, you do not have faith, you do not believe that in this supper Christ is forgiving you your sins and giving it to you, you ought to stay away. It's, it's of no help. That's what its purpose is for. Um, he does go on to say, now listen, uh, we can't see faith. And so uh, when we're going to talk about this examination, it is something only the person themselves can do. You have to examine yourself. As regards open sins, yes, the church, the pastor, there is a closed communion regarding those things in which if we are openly uh, doing these things and we are not sorry for them, they will be uh, uh, excluded, not allowed to come to to the supper. But I, I can't see inside the, the heart or faith. He does go on to say, for those who have fallen and are weak, and yet show that they desire to receive the forgiveness of sins, leaving their sins behind, 
he says, yes, they ought to uh, be received at the supper. So you can kind of see this uh, progression as well as distinction. I wanted to read this one because as we go through this examination, I want you to know that it is not the same thing as a open or closed communion. Yes, there is that, and that needs to be done. That is a pastoral decision concerning the outward or open sins, if you will, uh, that needs to be, as well as those who are uh, members professing the faith, that they might profess the truth of it. But this examination is for those who are members of the congregation, that they might uh, do this themselves, and this particular exhortation is one in which we remind them that they ought to perform this regularly. So, let's take a look. The examination, um, we're going to go back, if you want to take a look at your Bible, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Let me give you a little context, and I'm just going to keep moving into it. Uh, please stop me if you have questions. 1 Corinthians 7, as Paul is writing to the Corinthians and he is teaching them things, when he gets to 1 Corinthians 7, verse 1, that's page 1132, he says, Now for the matters you wrote about. And so, Paul now, with the rest of 1 Corinthians, is going to deal with particular issues in the congregation. Uh, the first matter that he's going to deal with is marriage, as you see here. And so he's going to start explaining about marriage and, and, and those things. Go to chapter 7, verse 25, the right column. He says, now about virgins. And so they had asked about those who were not married, and, and should they get married or should they not get married? And so uh, Paul goes on to say, okay, let me let me talk about that as well. We get to 1 Corinthians chapter 8 uh, on the next page, uh, the very next section that he's going to deal with. He says, now about food sacrifice to idols. Here's the next issue that he is going to uh, address. I have it up on the board. I'm going to use uh, this uh, New King James translation, but I w I'm, I'll keep going back to kind of show you that. So here's what he says. Now concerning things offered to idols, we know that all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet, as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by God. Four. Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no other God but one. But, or four, even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us... There is one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we for him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we live. However, there is not in everyone that knowledge. For some, with consciousness of the idol, until now eat it as a thing offered to an idol, 
and their conscience being weak is defiled. Eight, but food does not commend us to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, nor if we do not eat are we the worst. But beware lest somehow this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to those who are weak. All right, let's deal with the first part. Concerning things offered to idols. I think I mentioned before the, the context, especially in Gentiles' land, was this, that uh, if you were a heathen and you were going to uh, respect the idol, you would take them your, your meat. It was offered to the idol. Some of it was sacrificed or burned up. Um, uh, some of it was uh, given to support the uh, priestess or whoever was there doing their kind of thing. Um, there was more than could be used. It was cut up. There often was a butcher shop in the back, and you could go and get the extra meat uh, that was left over and that was sold. Um, had it been offered to the idol Aphrodite or Zeus or whoever, yep, yep, it'd been done in the in the in the ceremony, but then it was was offered, and that was a common way in which you would uh, go and get you know your hamburgers for your grill out that 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 evening. Paul says, let's talk about those things that are that are offered to idols. What about this? Eric? So this was some big hot topic for them. <laughs> it was, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you've got to kind of go, really? Like, this is what they want to know about. What about this? What about this? What about this? Here's the situation. There were some members of the congregation that said, you know, idols are nothing. You know, we've come to the Christian faith. We've come to the true God. What do we know? There's only one God, and all of the rest of these things are nothing. There aren't other gods. Now, again, Gentiles, they had all kinds of gods. They had all, nope, we know that that means nothing at all. And so, they said, we don't, we don't because those are nothing, you know, if, if you can get better meat, cheaper... Fresher, right next door, why not? What's the big deal? Um, and so they did. There were other Christians that said, you cannot do this. This would be terrible. This would be, that's been offered to idols. You can't, you, you know, you're a Christian. You have to avoid those kind of things. And that was the question that was brought before Paul. What are you going to do about this? Can we eat there? Or can we not? Hot topic. Yeah, it was. Um, what, is, what, is, what does Paul say? He says, um, there is knowledge. What do we know? And so he talks about the knowledge that there is no other God. He says, not everybody has that knowledge. Um, now, you would assume that those within the Christian church... But they would know that. And Paul's not denying that. Yes, of course they they know that. Those outside the church, they don't. 
don't know that. Um, so not everybody has that knowledge. The other thing is this, as we go on, he's going to talk about, uh, he's going to talk about love. And he's going to talk about love for the brethren, uh, for others. He says, um, with consciousness of the idol, they, until now, until now, they've been eating this thing as, as a thing offered to an idol. And if their conscience is weak, he says, you, you can, by, by forcing them, you can defile the conscience. What does this mean? It means this, that your conscience informs you based upon the teaching of the word of God what is right and what is wrong. Based upon your conscience, and, and you might remember you know, that, that phrase you know, where Luther says, here I stand, you know, and I am uh, uh, beholden to my conscience, I can't do otherwise. The church has always said, you must follow your conscience. Your conscience is, is, is that which teaches you this right and wrong. Um, if you ignore conscience, you will uh, um, harm your soul. You will, um, uh, you will no longer understand morality and you will fall into this. There is great danger, though, when the conscience has been mistaught. And so, let us say that you have been a heathen all your life. You have come to to Christ. Uh, you have become a Christian, and and now someone says, "Well, you know, we got man, this you know this meat from Zeus today is really good." And and the person goes, uh, "You know, can can I eat this? You know, my conscience is bothering me. I, I you know, I I know it's okay. I can't. I can't do this." Um, about the best example that, that, that I could give is someone who has been a, I don't know, who has been a Baptist all their life and has never drunk alcohol. You come into the Lutheran church, you realize that, you know, alcohol is not sinful, it is not wrong. Um, you know, hey, have a beer. And they, they go, well, yeah, yeah. You know, the point is, is that I know it's not. But for 50 years, I've just, no, I, I just, no. Now, do you force them? Do you buy that? No, not at all. What, what do you say? You know, you say, follow your conscience. Um, we don't want to use, we have knowledge, and we know this, but Paul says, you don't want to use this liberty that you have. You may do this, but you don't want, if someone else cannot in a good conscience, don't, fine, don't. And so this is where Paul is speaking about this that has been offered to idols. And he says, listen, as it regards your own conscience, you, you might have no trouble with this. Um, we all know this is the case. We need to be careful as it regards those who are weak, weak in conscience. They cannot partake without it bothering them. Paul does go on and he wants to make it clear that you're no better and you're no worse if you eat or if you don't, if you drink or if you don't. That does not mean that you are stronger, weaker, better, 
whatever, um, we have a liberty that we now have because we have knowledge. And we need to use that in a, in a right way. Well, I think it's important for us to remember that there were an awful lot of people in the Christian church in Corinth who used to be heathens. There were some Jews, of course, but an awful lot of the people there were heathens who had grown up doing these things. And it's one thing to be raised in the church it's another thing to be raised outside of it because there's a whole different structure there that that's true today it was true then it's always been true you have a secular society the church is plopped down right in the middle of this secular society and the big problem for the church is how do I deal with all of the, the stuff that I know is wrong in this secular society and still live in this secular society? A lot of you people who were raised Lutherans are fooling yourself if you think everybody else thinks like you do. <coughs> so... Let me give you a couple examples as I move forward. He's going to now change and apply this in a larger context. And he says, if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple. Oh, I'm not just talking about meat you brought home and we're grilling out. and, and whatever, But eating in an idol temple. And you kind of go... Wait a minute, okay, well, that, that sounds a little, you know. Um, all right, it's time for a baby shower. Um, the baby shower is going to be downstairs at Trinity Lutheran Church. You're going to invite your Methodist relative, your atheist relative, and and are they going to... Are they going to come to the basement of Trinity Lutheran Church for a baby shower? You think they're going to question that? Wait a minute. What do you do in having that? You know, I don't believe that. And you might say, well, that's no big deal. You know, you'd be surprised. Um, You know, uh, uh, my children often did concerts. There was concerts at the Unitarian Church. You know, is it a problem? They're just playing violin. And I'm just walking in there and sitting. Karen? Makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> and you know, and, and some of you just kind of like, you know what? What if Cecil sees me going to the Unitarian Church? <laughs> What's going on? You know, and at some point there's, you know, well, the next thing is you kind of go, well, it's not anything. And as I walk in, I walk by the books that are displayed on, and I'm, and then you walk in and, you know, the banner, you know, proclaims, and you kind of go, <laughs> you know, is this a well? You know, what if someone? I, you know, it, it may be that I kind of go. Well, I know it's not anything, but is it? And so they, yes, that was public spaces. And so, if you were in a heathen city, and all of your relatives are this, and guess what? 
you gather at the idol temple because that's where the place is. Then you have birthdays and celebrations and whatever, and you kind of go, and guess what we're going to eat? Okay. Um, can we get a little more defined on weak conscience? I was thinking more in terms of, uh, what's the other passage where it's if, if your brother is weak, you don't want to do anything that could cause him to fall into sin. This doesn't seem like it's uh, weak as in sinful. It seems like it's something else. You, you are correct. When I am talking about a weak brother, I'm not talking about sinful. I'm not talking about this is sin. I'm talking about someone who says, I, you know, I've got the, you know, I, I know what you're telling me, and, and I know it's not wrong, but I can't make use of that liberty. It just bothers me. Um, just I, 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 my conscience still keeps telling me this is a bad thing now you're right I have also applied that to you know it may be that uh, uh, your uh, peers all say you know I know you don't do, but come on come along with us we're going to do this that you know kind of bothers me oh just put it down and just do what we're doing you know that will wreck your faith and that, that's a, you know, if it's sin, your conscience is telling you don't suppress your conscience. So, you see, there is, there, there is a difference. But let me explain, though, one other thing. Um, there is a difference between someone who is a brother who is weak in the faith and, um, you know, that they, they, I, I, I don't want to harm their conscience. I want to love them, right? They come over to my house and I... Serve them lemonade. If the person that comes to my house uh, uh, decides that, and, and this is not weakness, this is someone who is mistaught, someone who says to me, you know, you Lutherans, you drink beer, you're going to hell. Um, you know, no, that's not weak. And that's not, I'm not going to, you know, in fact, I, you know, I'm going to have a beer that night. <laughs> Because that's a different story. Okay. Other. One thing I I, I, what, I think we should we should realize that when Paul talks about a conscience being weak, it's because it doesn't have the true knowledge. If you look in the in verse seven, however, there is not in everyone that knowledge. That is the knowledge of the freedom of being able to eat meat offered to idols. And then he says, for some, with the conscience of the idol. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> However, there is not in everyone that knowledge. For some, with conscience of <laughs> consciousness of the idol until now eat it as a thing offered to an idol. What he's saying here is that an idol is nothing, but this person still thinks, because of the way he was taught, the knowledge that he has, that idols are something. And so, I'm a Christian. I shouldn't eat food to the idol, because when I do that, I'm worshipping the idol. And I only worship the true God. So he is having, indeed, a conflict in his conscience because he has a lack of knowledge. 
Eric? a weak conscience an incorrect conscience? Or no. maybe contrast that with a strong conscience? It's a waffling conscience. <laughs> um, there is not only a, uh, a lack of knowledge, which Pastor Arun describes, but there is also, I, I'm going to say, a an, an inner uh, action. Um, I can know what you've told me. I still it still bothers me, and, and I'm still within me. I'm still unsure whether to act upon that. And so, you know, I gave you an example, you know, of of someone. You know, with, with alcohol, and then and said, "Listen, but it still just bothers me." And I go, "Follow your conscience. Don't don't do it." Um, I've heard of those before where I have said, "Listen, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit," and they have grown up in an evangelical tradition and said, "You know that oh, that's that's Roman. That that's that's kind of." And, and I go, "Listen, it's it's Jesus Christ died for me. It's a cross." I say to them, don't you have a cross on your necklace? Mm-hmm. Yes, you do. It's like putting on a necklace. And they look me in the face and go, okay, I understand what you're saying. You're not doing crazy kind of things. I get it. You know, can they do this? No. No, they can't. They can't. They, they just, they're not going to do that. And that's okay. I, I don't push that. I don't whatever. That's something that... that uh, um, but, so you do have a lack of knowledge, but you also have, I'm going to say, a knowledge that is internalized. Can I buy this, do this? Maybe not. And that's okay. That's just a weakness. Um, well, it's not really a weakness. It's an incorrectness. Because Paul says that an idol is nothing. If I think an idol is something, my conscience is a weak. It's incorrect. Because that's not what the scriptures teach. The, the, the scriptures teach us that an idol is nothing. If I believe in my conscience that it's something, then my faith will eventually teach my conscience that that's not right. But it's not that my conscience is weak or strong. It has the wrong knowledge teaching it, but the Holy Spirit will use the Word to teach it the right knowledge. I mean, that is true, that there is, um, based upon what my conscience is telling me, <laughs> you, you would say, it is incorrect. Saying, to my con- you know, I know it's wrong, but my conscience is, is still, I know it's right, but my conscience is still telling me it's wrong. Um, nevertheless, you do have to deal with, Paul does describe it as weak. I mean, I, that's the term he uses. Um, you're, you're right, it needs to be correctly informed so that it speaks to me correctly. That's why it's um, weak. So what, what, what we always say is that where there's someone you know, who has an incorrectly formed conscience, it needs to be corrected. The conscience needs to be informed and so that they can act based upon it. Uh, so, did you go to the Unitarian Church, and did you wear your collar, and <laughs> did, did it work by going to wherever these things were held, you were not in 
where they worship. And, well, I was and right in the worship area. Absolutely. That's okay. right where they did it. Right up in front, you know. But, they moved stuff away. They had the concert there. Um, I can't remember if I wore a collar or not. Um, you know, pretty well we went every time. Okay, um, good. You know, we had a, uh, uh, we had a concert here. You know, and uh, uh, Jews alike, they all came. Now, you know, were they uncomfortable with with coming into a, a church that had Jesus on the cross up in front? Maybe they were. Um, but at the same point, I think, you know, obviously this has taken me, uh, um, I, I've, I've touched a, a nerve. Uh, I thought four minutes down I would be on to 1 Corinthians 10 and 11. But, but my point is this. I think that these are issues that plague us today. And I'm going to say, as we move into a pluralistic society in which Christianity, you know, is no longer dominant, um, you know, you have to now question a whole bunch of things. And I think that the waters are definitely muddy. And I'm going to say at many points, I'm not quite sure, you know, what is and and some of these things and as I as I finish this off, some of these things deal with my conscience, and so I may have a conscience that says to me, "Listen, I just can't, I just can't go there. I just, it just, it bothers me." Okay, fine. Other issues are when I go in there, it may be your conscience when I go that bothers. It bothers you. And I may, because of that, in love of my neighbor, there may be something that goes with that as well. There is something else, and Paul is going to bring into this, which is going to be the public profession of faith. What would someone say if they saw this? And that is of a concern, and I need to make sure. But all of those issues, you know, normally, and and this is why Christianity, um, I'm 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 going to... it's tangential, but I'm going to mention it this, this as I talk about Christianity this morning in the sermon, about how it is not a matter of outward things, it's a matter of inward things, like righteousness, peace, joy, hope, those things which are within. You would, everyone, when you have an outward kingdom, you would expect Paul to come down and go, okay, food offered to idols. If you're doing it in your backyard, that's okay, check. If you go to the idol temple, that's wrong. Check. If you do this, that's what we love. We love the regulations. Just give me the rules, and we do it. But when this is a matter of faith inside, and my conscience, your conscience, and some other things, Paul has to be very... You know, does he say... No. He goes on to say, now, we know this, and we know that if your conscience is not, yeah, oh, yeah, no big deal. But what about if your neighbor? Well, then that involves love for your neighbor. Well, what about? And so then we, and then he talks about, well, what if you're going to an idol temple? You know, that's a little bit more. And then, okay, so it takes a little bit. And when Lutherans start talking like this, they say, oh, you're weak on the law. You guys, you know, you 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 won't give me a clear answer. I have heard people say this before. You know, where and 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 I'm trying to illustrate what the scriptures say. You know, in other religions, they tell them point blank. You know, not a drop of alcohol will touch your lips. Oh, okay, I got that. What do I say? Well, 
you know, you need to be sober. You don't be drunk. You know, you probably should. I, I, yeah, there's a whole lot. Brian. That was my question. It was just, do we have concern of how the world sees this? I mean, if there's a strip joint in town, and I got the best cheeseburger and fries in Hanson, do I want everybody seeing me going in there and coming out? Drive through. Yeah. Is that an issue? Yes. As we go through the rest of this, we're going to see that Paul says, absolutely, that's an issue. There are some things uh, that are scripturally taught. Um, that, that we have to say yes and no. There are other things, you know, that we go, yeah, that's probably not, you know, um, as it turns out, you know, I mean, I, I would say, you know, yeah, you're, I mean, your example, you kind of say, well, yeah, no, but if, if you say, hey, listen, you know, I'm going to go meet someone, uh, uh, I just dropped my car off there. I didn't go in. <laughs> yeah, I know that, but, you know, would that be the best witness? So, yes, we do have to deal with those kind of things. This, this, this is where Paul, Paul here is really, not, he's not concerned about the, the people who eat the food that's offered to idols. He's concerned about how that appears to those who don't think they should do it. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's that's what that's really what. And, and if we start using this as a law guide to what we ought to do, we've got a problem. Because then we're trying to figure out what does our neighbor really think. <laughs> uh oh. Um, again, there is more here than just the outward. The concern is my conscience. The concern is my brother in Christ's conscience. Um, So here's the way he starts off. Um, If anyone sees you who have knowledge, you who know it's nothing, but you're doing it that, you know, will his conscience be emboldened to do something that would harm his conscience? that, That would... Uh, uh, that he's not able to uh, uh, do because of your knowledge what's going to happen to your weak brother. Uh, He says, you know, I'm going to use my liberty, but I'm going to make sure that I use it in a way that uh, it supports and brings along my brothers in Christ. This is the way he starts off with. He's asked, answering their questions uh, concerning the eating of things as well as the eating of things that that are with uh, in in idol temples. If you take a look at 1 Corinthians 9, I skipped over that, um, Paul talks about his apostleship. Um, Verse 3, this is my defense to those who sit in judgment on me. Don't we have the right to food and drink? And so he's kind of going on through talking about uh, the right of apostleship, uh, those who are to uh, be paid and to be taken care of. and he continues to go on. We get to 1 Corinthians 9, 26 through 27. Paul says, Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Paul is letting us know 
that this Christian life, this Christian race, is not to be like a weak conscience. It's not to be of uncertainty. It is not to be of, well, I don't know if I should do this. Should I not do this? And then you're going to afford it. No, no, no. It is one in which I'm not going to fight like one who just beats the air. Uh, but I need to know what needs to happen. Why? Because there is great danger for the Christian life. He says, i got to discipline my body. i got to fight against it. i got to bring it into subjection. I have to make it do what I want based upon the scripturally informed conscience. Why? Lest, in preaching to you, then I myself, if I'm not doing this, I myself might become disqualified. What? Um, that, that he would not be saved. This is the context for, as we move forward into 1 Corinthians 10, why do we have an examination? Because, lest, having come to faith, having done all this, there is always a danger, and there's a danger for Paul, there's a danger for you, a danger for me, that we might lose the faith. And so Paul says, let me teach you so that this does not happen. 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 11. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual drink, food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. That rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. What? They're all there, and most of them, God was not pleased with them. They were disciplined. They were, ah, um, you know, don't go, oh, well, we're, we're all fine. It's fine. No, Paul says we, we ought to take this seriously. Now, these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Uh, do not become idolaters, some of them were, as it is written, that people sat down to eat and drink, rose up to play, nor let us commit sexual immorality, as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 fell, nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents, nor complain, as some of them also complained and were destroyed by a destroyer. So he kind of comes through and, and says, don't lust uh, after evil, don't become idolaters, don't commit adultery, uh, uh, sexual sins, uh, uh, don't tempt Christ, don't be a complainer. <laughs> Why? Now all these things happened to them as examples. They were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So what is he saying? He's saying that, look at what happened in the Old Testament. Don't think that we're any different. We ought to be, we ought to be ready. Yes, um, don't think that you can't fall. I am so strong Christian, it doesn't matter. I, I could do that. That's, that's fine. No, no, lest you fall. Yes, there are temptations. There are things that are common to man. But I got a God who is going to be faithful. So we continue to return to God. And God is going to use, for example, this examination, these teachings to teach us 
that these things don't come upon uh, upon us. 1 Corinthians 10, 14. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of of the body of Christ. For we, though many, are one body, one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. So having given examples concerning idol meat or being in an idol temple and, and there being a meal and, 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 and these kind of things and talking about the conscience, he does make quite clear that we are to flee from idolatry. Flee from idolatry. That is a, a, I mean, he's quite clear uh, concerning that. And then he gives an example from the Lord's Supper. Hmm. Judge for yourselves. What do you know? The cup of blessing which we bless. Mm-hmm. referring to the chalice the Lord's Supper the, uh, uh, Jesus blessed and so here is a, 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 that which is set apart as a, a cup is it not a, a fellowship of the blood of Christ where there is the cup with the wine is it not a communion or is there not a togetherness with the blood of Christ. When you drink the wine, do you not get the blood of Christ? Is that not present? You know, the answer, as it has it in the Greek, um, is that it assumes that you will say, well, yes, of course, uh, those who take the cup of blessing get the blood of Christ. There's a, a communion, a fellowship, one with the other. What about the bread which we break? Does not that have the body of Christ in, with, and under it? Is it not with it? Well, yes, of course it does. And then, in this phrase, let's take the last one. For we all partake of that one bread. If we all partake of the one bread, what happens? We, though many, are one bread and one body. So what happens when you partake? It causes you to become one church one group of believers. When you partake of the one bread, which is Christ's body, you become the body of Christ, the one church. That is a scriptural teaching. It's not just a perception. It is truly what happens. Um, When a congregation says, uh, ah, the Lord's Supper is open, everybody come on up, you know, sure, anyone can take, pass it down the aisle, break it off, you have a little whatever. We go, according to this, those who partake become, uh, you know, there's a, it's not just a profession, it's not just an outward perception where you kind of say, ah, you're kind of doing Christian things, are you Christian? No, you actually receive it and it results in 
um, something, being the one bread, the one body. So this is why when Paul is speaking, especially of Lord's Supper itself, he says, here's the way it goes with Lord's Supper. And then he goes on to say, let's observe Israel after the flesh. Let's take a look at just the, uh, the fleshly Israel, the secular, the Israel that came out. I'm, I'm not talking about just regular, those kind of things. Are not those who eat of the sacrifices, the Old Testament sacrifices, partakers of the altar? Oh, well, if they partook of who did that, that same because. What I'm saying, Dad, that an idol is anything or what is offered to an idol is, you know, is that what I'm saying? No. But rather, that the things which Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons, not to God. Demons are real. And you do not want to have a fellowship, it's the same word here, communion, a union with demons. When you partake of the demon sacrifice, you are becoming one with the demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he so Paul has started off with this, yeah, fine, if it's meat out back and whatever, you know, I, I get, but wait a minute. Now if we're talking about eating from that which is, yeah, they're not any gods, but there is a principle that those who partake of the rites, the ceremonies and all, uh, they are participants with. Comments, questions? word partake of the altar no. partake of that one bread partake and receive is in there so we can't really do that without faith mm-hmm. so we can't really you can't assign the chronology, uh, chronological order to any of that can you because can't really receive the forgiveness unless you're in faith already. You do receive the body of Christ with the bread, whether you have faith or not. But the word partake is what I'm... Simply to partake, to receive. This is, you? you're, you're making the age-old Missouri Synod distinction that that if you don't have faith, you don't receive the blood of Christ, or the body and blood of Christ. But you won't receive it for forgiveness, but you right. will receive it. Right. To your damnation. I'm talking about in relation to what it's saying. I, I don't know what you're saying, so you're going to point me out. For we, though many, are what, one what bread and one body. Okay. Oh, 17. Yep. For we all partake of one bread. Because we all partake of that one bread, because we do that, all who do that are considered to be one bread, one body, to be a part of the Christian church. So I, okay, so your, I don't know what your point or question is. I'm sorry, I'm just not following your line of reasoning. I thought you were saying that that partaking that isn't just a confession, but it makes us the church. 
I thought that's what you said. Maybe I misunderstood. Well, both of those things are true. Mm-hmm. It is a confession, but it also makes us. If. Uh, but we're already in faith. <laughs> yes, but it makes us still in faith. It's a great present tense verb. Yeah, that's that was the point. It's a an ongoing verb. Right? I'm sorry, I'm just, I'm just not following. I'll, I'll work on it later. Yeah. Sorry. Yes, Shirley? Okay, so yes, even a person without faith, if they take the communion, they are receiving the one body and the one bread. But if, but when you're talking about joining, they aren't actually part of that joining because they don't have the faith. And I think maybe that's what... Yeah. So the analogy would be this. When you uh, commit adultery with a prostitute, you become one body with her. Am I married to her? No, but do you want to do that? When you partake of the Lord's Supper, you unite yourself with those who are at that table, who are at that altar. You unite yourself, you know, if, if I allow, you know, the atheist, uh, whatever person to receive Lord's Supper, I'm allowing them to become one bread with us. Whoa, is that what we want? Um, is that what you want to do? Do you say, well, um, pastor, I can go to the, uh, to the other church. And, you know, I know they don't think it's the body and blood of Christ, but I believe it is. And I'll just take there, because I have nothing. And I go, do you want to become one body with that? That, That's what we're talking about. I'm pretty well out of time, but... There's a quick question about the distinguishing the idolatry. The meat that was set aside and sold in the butcher shop was not actually sacrificed to the... Was it, you know, is that bad to? I'm, I'm just confused between what Paul is saying here. He would draw a distinction between those two. Okay. And so, so to, to 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 give you an answer for this, that well, I'll get the answer to later because we haven't gotten there to that. Paul would say, if you go to your heathen neighbor's house and you know every one of them is a heathen and you know that they always get their meat from Zeus and they offer you a hamburger eat the hamburger, and forget about it. If one of your brothers in Christ who has a weak conscience says to you, um, that that meat was offered to, to Zeus, are you going to eat it? Paul says, mm, then don't. Not because you can't, but because you need to deal with your weak brother. Nevertheless, Paul will go on to say, if we are talking about going to an idol temple and we're talking about partaking at the table of the demons and whatever, you know, no, you know, I mean, a baby shower with games is one thing, death is a different thing. And so, you know, you can make quite a bit of a distinction between that. Brian? Yeah, I, mean, I think he's saying for someone to not back this one thing, even if it was offered to the idol, that's one thing. You don't go participate in the ceremony of offering it to the idol like you're one of them. And then he, Paul know, says, don't ask, I mean, he says to the believer, in effect, just don't ask any questions. 
<laughs> because you know it's nothing. You know, you know what I mean. I mean, this is not your issue. This is not your issue. Um, Brian uh, um, had a house. I went in and blessed his house. What about you know? You may go to your your atheist neighbor, you know, and they may have blessed the house to Satan. Do you ask any questions? No, you just walk inside. <laughs> Don't ask any questions. I mean, you know what it's. I mean, if they ask you, you tell them. Well, that's nothing. Um, I need to wrap up. This, this one thing. Well, one of the things about this these tests, this part of Corinthians, is it forces us to look and. To look at our relationship with other people, not from the perspective of law for us or for them, but from God. What does God think about offerings to idols? Well, for the person who's offering, it's wrong. For the person who eats it, if he doesn't think it's wrong, it's not. This, this, for good pietists, this is a hard way to deal with the Bible. <laughs> well, I think this part is talking about going to their service and partaking of the, because that is confessing you believe what that, what that church teaches. Correct. Yeah, that's the difference here. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you have provided for us the truth of your word. We ask that in clinging to that truth and professing it, uh, that we might uh, deal with our neighbor in love, uh, that we might uh, show them uh, who are weak uh, love so that they might be brought along uh, uh, to the uh, participation in the truth which we enjoy. We ask it through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.